Well, it seems to me um, that, that there are some issues which are pretty much guaranteed to divide a nation. Don't you think? Um, I guess Brexit might be a, a, an obvious recent example with its now uh, famous uh, uh, close, was it 52, 48% result? Or, or maybe, the, uh, maybe the Scottish independence vote in 2014 with, I think, 45, 55%. Uh, percent. Uh, these were issues that polarised opinion, weren't they? they? They divided the nation rather sharply. And, you know, as we approach John chapter 7 here this morning, I, I think we see a similar thing going on here. As people from all over the region are divided over the words of this man Jesus, the the travelling teacher from Nazareth. Uh, of course, this uh, this Jesus fella, he's he's been making some pretty uh, huge claims, hasn't he? Um, uh, back in chapter six, he he claimed to be God's promised rescuer. Um, uh, uh, the, the Moses-like Messiah uh, that God promised that he would send, the one who's come down from heaven to, to bring eternal life to those who come to him and believe in him and his, his death on the cross, which will soon achieve that rescue. However, as we came away from chapter 6 last week, we saw that many people were grumbling about Jesus, weren't they? Indeed, many people were turning away from Jesus. And this was because they perceived their need to be a material one or a, or a political one. And so they were looking for a, a powerful political rescuer, uh, someone to meet their felt needs of the time. But, but Jesus kept talking to them about their sin, that, that he'd come to rescue them by dying. Um, and this, of course, was just all too much for them, uh, uh, because what they wanted was ultimately a different kind of rescuer and a different kind of rescue from the one that Jesus was offering. Um, and so as chapter seven uh, begins now, the atmosphere here, it, I think, is one of confusion and division and hostility towards Jesus as people wrestle with what to make of him. Is he really God's rescuer? And is this really the kind of rescue that we need? Um, and, and what I want us to notice is how Jesus exposes the hearts and the motives of those who are rejecting him whilst at the same time continuing to hold out his offer of life to them. It's very striking. Uh, in other words, the opposition and the hostility towards Jesus might be mounting, but he is in complete control and he's just getting on with his father's mission to bring life. So we're going to be darting around a bit in chapter seven uh, this morning. But but as we as we do that, I'd, I'd love us to see four things that, that I think are, uh, are going on here, which is that confusion reigns, that tables are turned, that life is offered and that people are divided. So let me show you the first of those, first of all, which is that confusion reigns. Uh, and we can actually see this uh, right the way through the chapter, can't we? That there are confused and divided responses uh, to, to, to Jesus. So, so verse one, uh, for example, Jesus stays away uh, from Judea, he says, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Um, uh, but then look at verse 12, uh, where people are muttering about him, some saying he's a good man, while others are saying, no, he's leading people astray. Um, in verse 20, um, he's accused of being uh, demon possessed. And, and yet in verse 26, people are asking, uh, you know, can it be that the, the authorities really know that this is the Christ? 
Um, in verse 31, um, we, we read that many of the people believed in him because of the signs that he did. And yet the chief priests and, and the Pharisees send officers to arrest him. And, and the confusion goes on. If you look at verse 40, the people say this really is the prophet and, and others say this is the Christ. But, but in verse 43, we read that there was division among the people and, and some people wanting to arrest him. Um, the, the officers, uh, in fact, verse 45, the officers who are sent to arrest him recognise something unique about him. No one ever spoke uh, like, like this man. Uh, and yet the chief priests and the Pharisees, well, they consider him a deceiver. Uh, verse 47. It, in, in other words, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't there, that there are almost as many different views of Jesus here as there are people. Um, and you would have thought by now, after all the evidence they've seen that, that John's documented for us in, in this letter, um, that, that everyone would be in agreement over who Jesus is. He's, he's claimed to be God in the flesh, uh, uh, come as the rescuer that God promised. And then he's given evidence after evidence of his claims uh, uh, through his signs and as he's done what only God can do. And you know the old saying, don't you? Um, if it walks like a duck and it swims like a duck and it quacks like a duck, well, the chances are it is a duck. <laughs> but that's not what they've done with Jesus, is it? They're in total confusion and division about him. They don't see who he is. And, and, and this helps, I think, to explain Jesus' actions at the beginning of the chapter. You, you'll have noticed um, from verse 2, look, that the, the setting for chapter 7 is something called the, the Jewish Feast of Booths or the, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and this was, a, um, this was a, an eight-day-long harvest festival in Jerusalem, uh, effectively. Um, and, and Jews from far and wide would, would converge on the city, and, and a big part... Uh, of the celebrations was to look back and, and remember God's rescue of them from Egypt and his provision for them in the desert. So they called it the Feast of Booths because the people who came to the feast would, would camp around Jerusalem in little tents, little booths that were made out of covered branches. Even the locals who, who lived in Jerusalem would, would make these little tents and uh, uh, on their roofs and in their courtyards and they'd camp out there during the, the festival. And they would also remember this time through two important kind of ceremonial actions that took place during the festival, one of which was a, uh, a daily act of ritually drawing water um, to remind them of, of God providing them with water from the rock in, in the desert, uh, if you remember. And the other one was a lamp lighting ceremony, it, which reminded them of God's presence with them, leading them in the desert through the, the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. But the feast didn't only look back, but it also focused on the present and, and God's provision for them now. And significantly, it looked forward to God's promised future blessing as well that the water pouring ceremony pointed the people forward to that time which the prophets spoke of the last days when God's spirit would be poured out on the people so this is the great festival that was coming up and and Jesus brothers verse three they're they're keen that that Jesus goes to the festival and and kind of does some more signs um, you see, for the last little while, verse uh, verse one, for the last little while, Jesus has been ministering around Galilee. He's been avoiding Judea because there are people there that the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who want him dead. But with the 
with the Feast of Booths coming up, Jesus' brothers, uh, verses 3 and 4, that they're, they're saying to him, effectively, you need to get yourself to Jerusalem, Jesus, while the feast is going on the, and the place is packed full of, of people. That's the place for you to kind of go and do your stuff. You know, this could be your moment. Uh, which, of course, um, <laughs> betrays, doesn't it, a pretty shallow understanding of what Jesus uh, is about. You know, that even his siblings, his, his brothers, have, have not really understood have they either his origin or or his mission? Uh, in fact, John makes this interesting comment in in verse five: for not even his brothers believed in him. Oh, oh sure, they they believed in his miracles. That, that, that's why they wanted him to put on this display to the world in in Jerusalem. But they've not seen what's behind the miracles, or or even what they say about who he is and what he's come to do. So so even his brothers are confused. But Jesus' reply to them uh, in verses 6 to 8 is effectively to say that it's not the time for him to go yet. Now, uh, we'll see in a moment that he, he does go in, in time for the, uh, the big feast on the final day for, for reasons that we'll see in a minute. Um, but he doesn't want to be in the public eye yet because it may precipitate the plans of the Jews to have him arrested. In other words... He's not going to work to their agenda, what they work, uh, what they want for him. But he's going to work to his father's agenda and the mission that the father has given him. Do you see the point? In, in other words, he, he's totally in control of what's happening to him. He will select the timing. He'll go in accordance with his father's agenda, not their agenda. And he says, uh, uh, so he says to them in verse eight, uh, you go to the feast. I I'm not going to go yet. My time has not fully come. And, and, and he remains in Galilee. So his uh, his brothers head off, uh, leaving Jesus in Galilee. But but at some point after that, presumably a, a few days later, when the time is right, he does go up to the festival. Verse verse 10 but but not in a blaze of publicity doing signs and wonders while he's you know that his brothers had wanted but actually he he goes uh he goes kind of incognito he goes secretly keeps a low profile which seems to be just as well um because the jewish authorities are are looking for him verse uh, verse 11 and the general confusion about him is evident isn't it verse 12 some say he's a good man others say no he's he's leading people astray so confusion about Jesus reigns. P people are perplexed. They're, they're divided over him. But even in, in the midst of that, Jesus is in control and he's working to his father's agenda, not the world's agenda. And, and friends, as we see that confusion about Jesus here, I wonder whether perhaps we find a similar confusion about Jesus in our own minds and hearts as well. Can, can I ask you? Um, have you seen who Jesus is yet? Because having arrived in Jerusalem about halfway through the week, verse 14, um, Jesus begins teaching in the temple and his teaching addresses their confusion uh, head on. Um, in, in verse 15, uh, we, we read um, that they're amazed at how well he teaches, considering he's not formally trained. Um, and replying to this, he says, verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. 
Do you see, it's just another claim of Jesus, isn't he, that he's come from God. He's speaking with with God's authority. And so therefore what he says is is true. Verse uh, verse 18, the, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him is no falsehood. <laughs> He says the same thing in in verse 28 uh, as well, when when some people question whether he can really be the Messiah because they know where he comes from. Uh, To which Jesus uh, replies, look, in in verse 28, uh, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him. And he sent me. Um, and, and actually look again at verse uh, 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you for a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. He couldn't be clearer, really, could he? Um, and, and, and did you notice that the subtle reference to God's name in, in verse uh, 34 there? I am. And, and if you know your, your Old Testament, you'll know that I am was the, the special name for himself that God revealed to Moses. Do you, do you remember when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush um, and, and said to Moses, when, when they ask you uh, who sent you, uh, say to them, I am has sent me. And, and actually all the way through John's gospel, we find Jesus applying that name to himself. And he does it here as well it's just another subtle reference to who he is isn't it that he's he's god in the flesh he's god himself come to visit his people so although confusion reigns in in jerusalem about who jesus is well jesus is very clear in his claims isn't he He's claiming to come from God. He's claiming that what he speaks is from God. And of course, right through the gospel, he's been backing that up by doing these signs, these signs that only God can do. And of course, he's, he's making the point all the time, isn't he? If it walks and swims and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. <laughs> Into their confusion and division, he's, he's telling them again who he is. So friend, have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yet? And and that's a that's a good question to ask yourself. Because what we should also notice in this passage, it is not only that confusion reigns, but that tables are turned. And and just look how he does it uh, in verse 16. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Do do you see what he's saying? He's saying that if they were really seeking to do the Father's will, that they would recognise that what Jesus was teaching was from God, that that he wasn't speaking on his own authority. In other words, the the reason why they don't see Jesus for who he is is not because of the evidence, which is just staring them in the face. It's because they don't really want to do God's will. They want to do their own will and do their own, go their own way. Hence, they want to kill Jesus uh, and get him out of the way. Verse uh, verse 19. Do, do, Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is exposing them. He's he's turning the tables. 
Um, he, he does it some more. Look in verse uh, 21 and, and kind of exposes their hypocrisy. J- Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. And, and I think that's a reference to the uh, the healing of the paralyzed man on the Sabbath at the beginning of of chapter five do you, do you remember uh they were persecuting jesus because he healed uh, on the sabbath but but jesus says uh, uh, verse 22 well you're you're happy to circumcise someone on the sabbath if if needs be uh, even though it's supposed to be a day of rest you you make an exception if someone needs to be circumcised on that day you you recognize that the the law demands that that someone is circumcised on the eighth day so that if if that falls on a sabbath you go ahead and do it anyway in obedience to the to the law so, so how then can you get angry with me for healing someone completely on the Sabbath? Did you see? He, he doesn't only expose the, the hypocrisy of their religion, but he exposes their flawed understanding of God and his will. You know, if, if they truly loved God and his law, they would have been delighted to see a man healed on the Sabbath. But instead, they were plotting to kill the one who'd done it. <laughs> And of course, friends, their actions just prove what Jesus has said about them, uh, said about them, don't they? That they claim to be God's people, and yet they want Jesus out of their lives and they'll kill him to do it. Um, you can see Jesus turning the tables in the next section um, uh, uh, as well. Um, uh, as we saw uh, just now, some, some people question whether he could really be the Christ or not. Verse, uh, verse 26 And Jesus tells them again uh, that he's come from the Father, uh, verses 28 and and 29, uh, and also that he's going back there. Verse uh, verse 33, I will be with you uh, a little while longer, uh, and then I'm going to him who sent me. But do you notice what he says to them at the end of verse 28? He, He who sent me is true, and him you do not know in other words to these religious leaders he says you don't know god but but that's not all the the fact that they're rejecting him means not only that they don't know god but that they can't reach god have a look at uh, verse 34 you will seek me and you will not find me where i am you cannot come so, so, friends, can you see how how right through these verses, Jesus exposes what lies behind the people's rejection of him? To, to reject Jesus, as, as they're doing, is to show up the fact that we don't want God's will, but our will, verse 17. Uh, that we have a flawed understanding of God and his will, verse 24. That we don't know God, verse 28, and that we can't reach God, verse 34. Jesus is ruthless here, isn't he? His assessment of them is ruthless. He exposes their their sinful motives and the state of their hearts towards God. And they don't like it at all. Uh, They try to seize him, uh, verse 30. Uh, They send guards to arrest him, verse uh, verse 32. But notice again that in the midst of all the hostility towards him, Jesus is in total control. They tried to arrest him, verse 30. But no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. So, friends, just just now uh, I asked us to consider uh, whether we have seen who Jesus is yet. But there's another question we need to ask ourselves here, isn't there? In in the light of what Jesus has said here uh, about those who reject him, 
we need to also ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do about Jesus? Are we going to reject him like the Jewish leaders here? Are we going to reject his claims about who he is and where he's come from? Are we going to reject his teaching about his mission to to bring rescue to us from the consequences of our sin through his death on the cross? In other words, are we going to turn him down? And, And if we are, then on what basis are we going to do so? Given what Jesus has said here about those who reject him, on what grounds are you prepared to reject him? On the basis of, of, of what you've seen in this letter, if he is not who he claims to be, then who is he? If his teaching is not from God, well, where is it from? Jesus has been very plain speaking about those who push him away. That, that's why he's generated so much hostility here. So, friend, what will you do? And on what basis will you do it? Um, and as we think about that question, uh, I think we should also notice here that Jesus' response to those who reject him is not only to expose their sinful motives, their, their sinful hearts, but it's to keep offering them life. That's, that's, that's incredible, isn't it? But that's what he does here. So, so we've seen that confusion reigns. We've seen that tables are turned. But let's now see that life is offered. And, and if you look at verse uh, verse 37 there, you'll see that we're taken now to the final uh, the final day of the festival, which was a special Sabbath day, a rest day um, on which was the closing assembly of the uh, of the festival. And, and just like on the other days that the water drawing ritual would take place. So the high priest would appear in the temple courts um, announced with blasts from the trumpet. And, and he will be carrying a, a golden flagon of water drawn from the pool of Siloam. Um, and, and as the thousands of pilgrims praised God by singing Psalm 118 together, uh, the high priest would would enter the temple and, and pour out the water before the Lord uh, at the altar. Um, and as we mentioned at the beginning, this this water pouring ceremony both looked back to God's provision of water in the desert after the exodus from Egypt. But it also pointed forward to the, the messianic age to come, the, the last days when God would pour out his spirit. And, and in many places in the Old Testament, that messianic age to come and, and the pouring out of God's spirit is is pictured in the old testament as being like a river of water that flows out and brings blessing to to others so uh, passages like isaiah 58 verse 11 you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail or, or, or zechariah 14 verse 8 on that day living waters shall flow out from jerusalem Or Isaiah 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or or Isaiah 44, verse 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do do you get the picture? This this feast of tabernacles and and the water drawing ceremony that went with it didn't just look back to God's rescue in the past, but it was loaded with allusions to God's coming rescue as well, to the the messianic age to come and to the Messiah uh, who had heralded it all in. 
And as this ceremony, loaded with all this Old Testament imagery, is going on in the temple with these thousands of pilgrims in attendance, Jesus stands up, verse 37, and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And friends, he's not selling bottled water here, is he? (laughs) This is a loaded phrase from Jesus. He stood up in the temple as the water ceremony is going on. And with authority, he's saying effectively, I'm the one this festival is all about. Uh, That phrase in in verse uh, 38 there, as as the scripture has said, out of this heart will flow rivers of living water. That's not a direct quote from any one Old Testament passage. Rather, it seems to be a summary of many of them and and some of those that I I, I quoted to you just now. In in other words, Jesus is saying that everything this feast signifies, everything it points back to, everything it points forward to, it's all fulfilled in me. I'm the true rescuer that was promised. I'm the one who will provide uh, the outpouring of God's spirit that will be like a kind of uh, self-replenishing stream of living water, uh, eternal life in, in the hearts of those who believe. So come to me and drink. Believe in me and have life. Do you, do you see, friends? There's all this confusion about Jesus. There's all this division and hostility about him. And and Jesus warns them that to reject him, to walk away from him, means that they don't want to do God's will but their own will. They don't really understand God or know God and that they therefore can't reach God. But friends, although he warns them, he, he still, in the face of their hostility and opposition, he resolutely holds out life to them. Did, did, did you see? Come to me and drink, he says. Believe in me and receive living water. And, and friends, his, his teaching in this chapter is abundantly clear, isn't it? Without him, there is no hope of life. But in him, there is life. Jesus offers us life, eternal life, life with him forever. So how will we respond to him? Uh, Of course, we see, uh, don't we, how others responded to him. That's the final thing for for us to notice here, which is that people are divided. In fact, I'm I'm not sure there's there's anywhere else in Scripture that shows as many different reactions to Jesus as as we see here. You've got the Jewish leaders, uh, of course, who want to arrest and kill him. Uh, You've got his brothers who are confused and unbelieving. Uh, You've got some people who say he's a good man, but you've got others who say, no, he's just leading people astray. Uh, You've got people who marveled at his teaching, but you've got others who said he's a demon. Uh, Then you've got those who believed in him, uh, those who said he's a prophet, verse 40. Others who said this is the Christ, verse 41. So, so I think actually verse 43 is pretty spot on when it says there was division among the people over him. And friends, do you know, in every generation since, it's been the same. That There have been people who have ridiculed him, uh, people who have rejected him, uh, people who have refused to believe in him. There have been people who have been hostile towards him or wanted him out of their lives like the Jewish leaders here. M- maybe that's even like you this morning. You know, if, if you're honest with yourself, 
Are you like the religious leaders here in this chapter? Someone maybe who likes to think of themselves as a spiritual sort of person or as a moral kind of person or, or even a religious kind of person. But you don't like the idea of Jesus saying that you need rescuing from your sin. That, that your morality or your spirituality is not enough. That you're not good enough for God by yourself. That you're not one of his people unless you come to Jesus to be rescued. Well, friend, if, if that is you... Well, yes, Jesus warns you in this passage, there is no life without him. But he also offers to you that there is life if you will come to him and believe in him. Like, like those in verse 12, for example. Uh, um, uh, sorry, um, uh, let me get to verse 12 in a, in, in a sec. Um, as well as those who reject him, there are others here as well, aren't there? P people who are uh, not so much rejecting him, but people who have just been uh, confused speculators about him. They're the people in, in, uh, in verse 12, for, for example. Maybe he's a good guy. You know, maybe he's a fraud. They don't really know because they're ignorant of the facts. Or maybe you notice the debate that was taking place in, in verses 40 to 43 about whether Jesus was the Christ or not. Uh, some said he was, uh, others said he can't be because he comes from Galilee. And the Christ, according to the, the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, was supposed to come from Bethlehem, uh, uh, the village of King David. But if, they, if they'd just taken the trouble to ask Jesus, he could have told them that although he grew up in Galilee, actually he was born in Bethlehem. Just as the Old Testament said, they just didn't know the facts. And friends, there are so many people today as well who are not able to, to be anything more than confused speculators about Jesus because all they know about him is what they've seen on Songs of Praise or something. And, and friend, maybe that's you this morning. Do, do you feel like a, a confused speculator uh, about Jesus? Well, John has written his book, he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing... You may have life in his name. He, he wants you to have all the facts so that you can believe in him and have life in him. So if you're here this morning and you're confused about Jesus, <coughs> my advice is keep coming to hear about him. You know, maybe have a look through John's gospel with a Christian friend or, or maybe come on a course here and, and, and find out some more. And, and pray, pray that God would draw you to believe in Jesus as you discover who he is. But, you know, um, as, as well as the rejectors and, and the, the confused speculators, we've seen the believers uh, as well, haven't we? Those who have responded to Jesus' teaching by putting their trust in him. Uh, uh, like those uh, look in verse 31. Uh, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more than this man has done? And that's kind of a rhetorical question, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're saying, no, he won't, because this guy is the Christ. And, and so they believe in him. And, and maybe that is you this morning, friend. But maybe you've been thinking these things through for a while and, and you've heard enough to say, you know, Jesus is who he claims to be. He is God's son and God's rescuer, uh, the one I need to rescue me from, from my sin through his death on the cross. 
Well, friend, if you've come to that conclusion, you need to do something about it and, and actively place your trust in Jesus and start living your life for him. Maybe now is the time to go and talk to a Christian friend here that you know or come and chat to me or, or Ollie and, and, and kick that off this morning. Friends, what Jesus teaches still divides people today. Some choose to reject him outright. Some choose to remain ignorant about him, which of course also amounts to rejecting him. And some people act on the evidence and place their trust in him. Of course, to do so is to stand out from the crowd. We can see that from the example of Nicodemus, can't we, in, in verse 51, who, who defends Jesus. Does, does our law judge a man? He, he says, without giving him first a hearing and, and learning what he does. And, and his peers, they mock him, don't they? Verse, verse 52, oh, are you from Galilee as well? Don't you know no prophet comes from Galilee? Well, friends, if you're a Christian this morning, you'll know that being mocked for following Jesus is pretty common. It's, it goes with the territory. And that's because, as, as we've seen here, the Jesus that we follow is an uncomfortable Messiah who exposes our sin and says that even the most religious and moral people like these Jews are still in need of his rescue. And so just as Jesus experienced hostility and rejection, so we are likely to face it too. And yet, as for Jesus, so for us too, we respond to that rejection, friends, by quietly patiently, faithfully holding out to people his offer of life in him. That offer where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we do thank you for um, showing us that even if we are the most religious, most spiritual, most uh, moral people, that we need to come to Jesus and, and believe in him if we are to have life. And, and if we've not yet done that, would you please lead us to that this morning? Um, and, and if we have done that already, then would you please help us, even in the face of hostility and opposition, to keep offering to, to those you bring us into contact with the message of life in the Lord Jesus. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.